Good morning, Waste No Day crew. Just wanted to stop in here before we release this week's episode. We had a great show planned for you with JP Dinell. The audio quality just wasn't up to our standards. And so we wanted to hold on to that till we get it fixed for next week. It will actually be episode 150 and we're celebrating that. But for right now, we're going to re-release a great episode with Tom Hopkins talking about fear words. And regardless of whether you've heard this or not, it's always a great reminder as to how to train our language to have the most effect and the least amount of fear for the client. If you haven't heard this one yet, you're in for a treat. It's going to be a great show as we put Tom Hopkins in your passenger seat. The people in front of you were told back maybe five years ago by a representative that, hey, you'll love this. This is a good deal. And that word deal stuck because it ended up being a bad deal. So the word deal can be considered a rejection nasty word so we always use a positive word which is opportunity it's so much better to say most of our happiest clients feel what we do is a wonderful opportunity that they benefit from welcome to the waste no day podcast a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. I'm your host, Nate. I'm your co-host, Brian. And we are so excited for this podcast. It is a special honor to have on our guest today. Tom Hopkins is joining us on the podcast today, and we're focusing on fear words. It is going to be a great episode, and you do not want to miss it. Yeah, Tom is going to go into words we should and should not say on a presentation um, I'm a, I'm a personally a big fan of Tom's myself as, uh, the first ever sales training course I ever took was through Tom Hopkins. And, um, the first book I read on sales was by Tom Hopkins. It was, um, selling for dummies <clears throat> and it had a big impact on my career, but more than anything, it had a big, big impact on how I viewed salespeople. When I first got to my mentor and he asked if I wanted to learn how to sell, I just kind of rolled my eyes. Like the last thing I want to be is a used car salesman. And, you know, a, I should say a TV portrayed used car salesman. I've bought used cars from stand-up guys that I wouldn't call scum of the earth by any means. So I'm not even sure they deserve that um, any more than the plumbers you see portrayed on TV. It's not typically what you see around here, that's for sure. Yeah, with the uh, plumber crack and all that. Yeah, all that quote-unquote hilarious stuff. Um, but he he had such a big impact on, I think, culture in general and making people understand that selling is a valued and valuable profession and adding sales training to just about any profession makes it a better profession 
it makes people more professional. Yeah, it's, it's the difference between dealing with an amateur who's just out there slugging away as opposed to somebody who has practice under their belts. Yep, it's just it's just training. It's just getting better. It's improvement. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, like, the difference there is watching the NFL, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA against watching, like, a high school team, right? One, you have professionals, and one, you have amateurs, some of whom are on their way to becoming professionals and others who are just out there to have a good time. Both can be enjoyable, but uh, when you're ready to spend money, you're probably looking to spend it on the professional side of things. Right, and that... Brings me to our quote. Oh, introduce it, Brian. You are your greatest asset. You put your time, effort, and money into training, grooming, and encouraging your greatest asset. Tom Hopkins. Oh, I see what you did there. A quote from the guest. Yep. It's uh, the first time. Nice. I think uh, Brian has that tattooed on his arm. Um, so he can just look at that every morning and say that I am my greatest asset. That's right. It's actually tattooed on Nate's arm too. Brian is my greatest (laughs) asset. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, so we want to, we want to introduce the idea here. Uh, like I mentioned, our subject today is fear words, which is straight out of the Tom Hopkins repertoire of materials. And, uh, we're super excited to have him on a little bit later to actually break down, uh, what those fear words are. But first, we wanted to introduce it a little bit and talk about the importance of communication. So uh, when you are in the home services industry, it's pretty much impossible to go throughout your day without speaking to a person who is going to be exchanging money with you. You're either installing something for somebody who already paid for it, or you're presenting something to somebody who's going to be paying for it. Customer interaction uh, is just part of the gig. And so why not interact with them and use language that is going to instill the most trust and uh, comfortability with you as the person in their home, as opposed to using language that can be inflammatory and, uh, you know, turning them off, you might say. And so that's really the point of what we're trying to focus on here is that a lot of times we use language indiscriminately meaning that we'll throw a word in there that we're just using as uh, everyday common language, uh, but it has a, a visceral sometimes reaction or maybe a subtle reaction from the client that you're not even picking up on. And a lot of that can be uh, driven by you know what their past was or what a previous experience with a sales professional or lack of professional uh, has done to them and their mentality when they hear that word. So think of triggering words, um, as something that, uh, to kind of put this in perspective, right? So, uh, we'll just take it into the medical profession. You know, maybe you have had a surgery before you haven't had a surgery before. And so your definition, when somebody says the word surgery is going to bring to mind certain reactions for some of you who've had a great surgery in the past where everything worked out beautifully, or maybe you've had no surgery at all. Uh, you might have like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Others of you who maybe have had a really bad surgery or outcome or know somebody who has had, that might create a lot of fear in in your world when somebody says surgery. And so right there is a word that at face value seems kind of neutral. It's just a word defining uh, what it means to operate on somebody, but it can have completely different reactions based upon the listening audience. And I think that's really what Tom is trying to get at with his fear words is that it's not it's not you, it's the listener of the word 
that is your main concern. You might throw in words like surgery or you might throw out words like client or contract or those types of things and they might mean very little to you but they might mean the world of difference to your listening audience to the person on the other side of the table and that's why this is such an important thing for us to focus on and to really think about how and what words we're using when we talk right what response is going to be or at least feeling is going to be elicited by a certain word or phrase that we use that typically we have no idea that it elicits that kind of uh, feeling. But when you're talking about somebody like Tom Hopkins, who's been in and around selling since the early seventies, if not even a little bit before that. Shoot. He was doing his university since 76. So he's well over four decades just in teaching. Yep. And he probably had, I don't know, somewhere close to a decade in selling real estate before that. So he's been in and around sales long since long before most of both of us and most of our audience is born. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he noticed over the years that certain things he said, uh, certain phrases or words he used uh, triggered things in his, in the people he served. So he took those words out and he put different words in and lo and behold, broke the record for most homes sold by a single agent in real estate in a year in history. For all I know, that could still stand. I have no idea. Not around the real estate business very much, but um, it was all a result of him doing things like that. And he was revolutionary in that because he was he was walking around going note to self. This word changed things. I will no longer use it. Instead, I'll use this word. And he would take note and see if that changed things on the next presentation. And it did. And he would say, okay. That's what I'll do from here on out. And he's got 20, 20 books he either wrote or co-wrote. Um, I have no idea how many seminars he does a year. He's got millions and millions of copies of his books sold. Uh, at least when I was going to his seminars, his his book, Selling for Dummies, was the best-selling for dummies book ever written. That's those yellow books. Uh, and... He's a he's a, literally a guru and changed the way that people look at salespeople. I believe probably had the biggest impact on that of anyone in history. Yeah, and so we are just uh, beyond thrilled to be able to offer him to you on this podcast and uh, be able to tap into some of that excellence. Uh, and and really, what we're talking about here, Brian, is awareness, situational awareness of your ability as a technician, plumber, electrician, or a customer service rep to observe either by listening or, or visual cues, um, or just kind of like that, that feeling that, uh, EQ you might say as to what you're doing and the impact it is having on the person across from you. And, and this type of, uh, this type of skill or this type of learned behavior far outpaces just sales in itself. This is really just human interaction, right? So EQ, there's been tons of books and all kinds of things written about the emotional quotient, which is uh, the counterbalance of IQ, which is intelligence quotient. Uh, And so emotional quotient is basically your ability to read a room, read a person and understand how your Uh, your actions, your conversation, um, all the things that you're doing are impacting them and then being able to adapt 
to that impact so that you don't step all over their feelings or, or their interpretation of what you're doing. Uh, so a good reaction or sorry, a good example of that would be, you know, if you're telling a joke and you're halfway through the joke and the person is kind of like rolling their eyes or you can see that they're getting a little uncomfortable, you're like, oh, okay, uh, maybe they're not liking this joke. And so maybe you alter the ending to have a little bit of a different, uh, less, you know, less offensive or, or maybe you, you change up the story altogether, whatever it may be. Or, or maybe you're at a party and you're having a conversation and somebody says something about politics and you notice that like half the group is laughing and the other half of the group is kind of like shying away and, and looking down towards the floor. Like these are all things that you're paying attention to. And so you're, you're reading the room, you're reading people, you're understanding what, uh, what things are making a difference in their world. And then you are using that information to adapt yourself to best appeal to that person. One of the biggest ways to do that is through the simple method of language. And that's what we're focusing on today with fear words. And it's not just the words either. It's, it's every part of your presentation. Everything matters. It, everything, you, everything about your appearance and your vocabulary either adds to or takes away from your presentation. And that's something to keep in mind, uh, not just to be careful what words you use, but and have that mirror handy, have a picture of the, what you consider the perfect looking service tech and look in that mirror and say, is my shirt that clean? Is it tucked in? Is my belt straight? Are, are my pants clean? Are my boots clean? My teeth brushed? Yes. The homeowner knows whether your teeth are brushed, whether you pretend it or not for crying out loud, we can smell your breath. Take a shower in the morning. It is very obvious whether you do or not, whether you think it is or not. Take your shower in the morning. Take one at night, too, if you have to. <laughs> but I'm not worried about what your wife has to smell, but our uh, the people we serve need to smell a good, clean, fresh tech. <laughs> but the, the devil really is in the details, and you never know what word, phrase, or part of your appearance can kill your presentation. Uh, that's so right, Brian. And so without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Our guest today is none other than Tom Hopkins, world-renowned as the builder of sales champions. Tom Hopkins' practical yet powerful selling strategies have made the careers of literally millions of sales professionals. Tom has been teaching via live and online events, recorded audios and videos, and through his books for over 40 years. His classic book, How to Master the Art of Selling, is dog-eared and filled with yellow highlighter on the shelves of today's top sales pros. Tom teaches simple strategies you can put to work in your very next sales presentation. Why have millions built their careers on Tom's training? Because they got the results they wanted, closed sales, and happy clients. We are super honored to have him on our show, and we are just stoked that he took the time out of his day to jump on with us. And we're focusing on the concept of fear words and things to keep out of your presentation. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Tom. Well, thank you. And I'm pumped to be with you, Nate and Brian, and uh, going to do our best to share some ideas that people can go out and make a better living and happier life and, of course, uh, serve more of their clients. So it's, it's great. I'm ready when you are. 
Absolutely, it's a it's an honor for me personally to have you uh, on the show, Tom. We've we've met actually a few times at your um, your sales training boot camp seminars in Scottsdale, and I can't I can't tell you how much they did for my career and not just my career, but like how how I learned um, being on stage so many times and like role playing in front of all those people and hearing your stories and stuff. And they would even help me on presentations. You know, when you get beat up and I never see failure as failure, those uh, sayings that you had. It's, it's had such a huge impact on my career. Well, and I got to say, you know, I, I think that anyone who's listening that was ever a teacher, an edu- <clears throat> educator, they will agree that the highlight of your life <clears throat> as a teacher, instructor, motivator, whatever, is when people do give you reports that what you've taught them had a very good positive effect on their overall life and that's kind of I think the the real payment that that we receive and you know after doing this for gosh almost 40 years now putting on seminars it's uh it's been an exciting life it really has and I really like the fact that you uh call your podcast today waste no day, which is such an important concept. I mean, that's only three words, waste no day, but most people don't realize that all of us as as human beings with a normal life have about the same amount of time in a day. We have, you know, 24 hours, and we have 86,400 seconds, and the people that seem to do best in life they treasure those seconds. And, you know, I was many years ago searching for answers to become a success. I certainly didn't start off that way. I I quit college after 90 days. I, I didn't uh, have an education. And I wanted to be a success like everybody. And fortunately, I had mentors, men and women, that saw me as a 19-year-old kid, broke, scared to death, wanting to be a success. And so many of them reached down and they helped me. And one man I, I was talking to, he was the top producer in a major company. And he said, Tom, I've lived by this saying all of my life. I must do the most productive thing possible at every given moment. He says, I have that plaque on my desk. I have it in my uh, home. And my children, they could come out of their uh, rooms to get to breakfast or whatever. And we have it on the wall. And so I took those words. I must do the most productive thing possible at every given moment. And not only internalize them, but I have tried my best to live by those words. And I think a true successful person is really judging what they do almost on a daily, or hourly, moment-to-moment basis if they're going to, again, achieve the high level of accomplishment, high income, and really, you know, build a successful life. So I think this waste-no-day is such a very important part of a person's life. And so I think this is great. So do the most productive thing possible at every given moment. And I promise at the end of your life, your legacy will be that you really achieved a high level of accomplishment 
and success. And that's what we're here to share. Actually, I've actually always attributed that quote to you. I thought that was your own quote. So <laughs> thanks for clearing well, that no, up. It, was, it, it became mine. Uh, he gave it to me. Of course, this is back when he was an older gentleman and I was just 19. But, you know, in a way he, you know, shared that with me. And, of course, I then started teaching it. And I've had that kind of as a foundation because time planning and organization really are two of the most important parts of building a successful career and being precious with the 86,400 seconds that we have in a day and, you know, being productive with what you do. So I think we've got a great subject here. And, yeah, I'm just thrilled that we get a chance to talk and, of course, also thrilled that my teachings had an impact on you because that's really the payment to the teacher. Yeah, uh, an impact I couldn't even begin to describe. It's been, um, I, even thinking of that quote that you just said, that's something that I've rang over and over in my head for so many years and, and um, <laughs> taught so many people over these years. And it's, uh, I think you've paid forward the blessings that you received so many times over. Well, thanks. That's it's wonderful to hear. Well, good stuff there, Tom. So in uh, kind of, liking what you were saying there about wasting our day. We, we have a limited time with you on this podcast, so we want to make sure we make the most of it as well. And we want to jump into the concept of fear words, which I believe is up your alley. Um, oh, sure. So sure, in, the, sure. in the home services industry, we are, our, our people are constantly placed in front of a client and they are presenting uh, many times in difficult circumstances like, water is in my house where it's not supposed to be or the, the electricity is not working or I'm hot or and sweating or I'm cold and freezing. You know, these are challenging <laughs> times uh, for the homeowner and they're not, they didn't wake up this morning saying, well, how can I spend money, uh, you know, fixing my air conditioner today? And so we wanted to talk with you about the best ways to go about dialoguing that conversation with specific words to use and specific ones not to use. Well, I, I love that, and, and I think the best way to start this part of our talk is to have everybody that's sitting down in front of someone in their presentation, in the beginning, that person across the desk or kitchen table or wherever has inside of them this four-letter word called fear, and the fear is either making a mistake, paying too much, maybe not getting the right installation. So they, they are sitting there in fear. And one of the keys to getting people to go along with you and, of course, invest in whatever you're offering them is to eliminate as much fear as possible. And I have always been a believer that all of us, in a way, are in the word business. And the words we say and how we say them are so critical in emotionally leading people to agree with what we want them to do. And, and based on that truth, no one purchases and spends money on anything logically. They make the decision emotionally, and then after they've written the check, put their name on the paperwork, then they can find a logical reason or reasons why 
they made the investment. So I think the premise here is that we're all really in the emotion business. And based on that truth, I have always felt there are 15 words that you cannot really say in your presentation because these words will trigger emotional fear. And I call these words, I have two names for them. I call them sales jargon or nasty words. And I coined that little term because they're words I think we have to eliminate and replace with words that don't create fear but enhance emotionally people's desire sitting with us, thinking if they are going to be a future client, that these words must not be said uh, or you increase the amount of fear they have. Because there's another basic truth. Uh, We in the United States are probably one of the greatest buying nations in the world. I mean, people love to own things. They love to create a better life. They love to eliminate things that are wrong with their home. Uh, I mean, all these things are emotional desires that people have. And so as we get started, I, I would like the, the folks that are enjoying, I hope, our time to, to realize they have to make a concentrated effort to replace these 15 words with the words I'm going to cover. And, and as I looked at our time together, I thought this could probably be the most important thing we could teach. I have almost 50 hours of training in all my CDs, books, tapes, everything. But I felt that in our short period of time, if we really went over these 15 words and gave them other words, that uh, it would be really good for them. So, So why don't I jump right in and... The, the first word, of course, and in your industry, this word would not come up with everybody because many of your people do not, do not earn a commission and aren't paid with a commission. However, I'll guarantee you there are people right now listening that part of their income is part uh, fee that they get if they close a transaction. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. So the first word that I want them to really eliminate is commission, because there there will be people that will come right out and say to you, now, do you make a commission if we buy from you? And it's so tempting to, if you do get paid a commission, just to say yes, and right away that creates a little doubt and fear, because here this person who's going to invest in whatever you're offering knows that you financially benefit if they say yes to what you're proposing. So I would like people that are with us to always call the commission a fee for service. And to give you an example of this, I I kind of always like to write scripts. And so let's say the person said to you, now, do you earn a commission if we invest in this product? It would be so nice to smile and say, you know, John and Mary, fortunately, the, compo- the company has built a fee-for-service into our transactions. I can assure you, however, the service you'll receive 
from us throughout the years will far outweigh the fee. And that's what you really want, isn't it? Absolutely. But didn't that feel good? <laughs> didn't that just feel like, yes, here, quick. Yeah. Where's the dotted line? Let's do this. So let's let's just say to ourselves, if ever the word commission has to be used, we call it our fee for service. And I think that people will really enjoy. And, of course, those that are listening, I hope that one paragraph I just read from my notes, because this is what I would say, that they might say to themselves, I'm going to rehearse that. I'm going to practice that. Because as I taught you in those three boot camps you went to, the pro in any endeavor, I don't care if it's Tiger Woods or Phil Mickelson, uh, two great golfers, uh, I don't care who it is, they will practice more than the average people. Uh, I know when I lived in California, as you know, I'm in Arizona now, but when I lived in California, I had a membership to the same club that Tiger Woods did. And, of course, we as amateur golfers, uh, hackers, if you will, whenever Tiger Woods would come out to the course, all of us would kind of, uh, you know, kind of get in our carts and just drive around, hide sometimes behind trees. (laughs) <laughs> and watch him back when he was in his early 20s. That's how long it was. But then what we were amazed at is we would maybe show up at the driving range, Brian, and hit maybe 20 balls and then run out to the first tee. Uh, I watched numerous times when they would bring out from the clubhouse a pile maybe a foot or two high of golf balls in front of Tiger Woods. And I saw him one day because I watch all this type of thing. I watched him with just a nine iron hit almost four hours of golf balls. Wow. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is we must practice drill and rehearse. I call it PDR. We must practice drill and rehearse in your business and the people that are with us today in how we say what we say, and of course, also what we don't say. It's, it's kind of like the second word. There's two words we want to try to eliminate, and that is the word cost or price. Meaning, <clears throat> we don't want to say, now if we replace this, it's going to cost you about that. Or, if you invest in this, the, the price will be. Because right away, what people do subconsciously is when they hear price, they think to themselves, well, we've only talked to this company or this representative. Maybe we should call some other folks and get an opinion of what they would want us to invest. So I would like the, the folks to not use the word cost or price, but use one of these two words or one of these four words, either the total amount. Instead of price, total amount, or the total investment. Because the the word investment has the feeling that they're benefiting and getting something back, which they are. They're getting the service from the company. They're getting the warranties on the products. They're getting follow-up from a good representative. So those are the words I'd like them to work on, total amount or total investment. 
drop price from your vocabulary. And the next word, number three, is we never want to talk about a down payment. Because I know there's folks listening where they offer financing on the investment the folks make. But if they call it a down payment, right away that people kind of think to themselves, I don't know if we can come up with that. So I'd love the folks to not call it a down payment, but the initial amount or the initial investment. Because here again, it's the starting, which is initial, and it is, it's an investment that will give you a good quality return. So I'd like them to consider doing that. And then, of course, I know also, as we mentioned, that some of the folks can offer financing of the investment, but the folks might say, well, now, if we do finance it, how much is it a month? Well, I, I know people are tempted to say, well, the monthly payment. And again, the folks opposite them at the table or desk say, oh, my gosh, I don't know if we can come up with that. So I would love the folks to the fourth word monthly payment to eliminate it and whenever they need to call it the monthly amount or the monthly investment. Because here again, that darn investment is a a benefit to the person that's writing the check. So monthly investment would be what I would consider if ever you have to use the word monthly payment. And, of course, the fifth word is one of the scariest, and it's the word contract. And I know there's folks now listening to me that when they market their product or service, there is paperwork, and it's often called a contract. But when you say that to a buyer, a future client, well, of course, why don't we go over the contract right away? Many people go, "Uh uh-oh. My mom and dad years ago said, be careful if anyone, especially trying to sell you something, calls this printed form a contract. So I always suggest that folks never use the word contract. Use the word paperwork or agreement or even just the word form. And I mean, it's such a different feeling uh, when you use these words. John, Mary, why don't we kind of draft up our feelings on the paperwork and see how things look? Or, you know, Mr. Johnson, why don't we just draft up our feelings on the agreement and see if what we're offering based on what you're investing makes a lot of sense to your family? Yeah, that's, and here that's again, great. Uh, sorry to interrupt. You oh, there, I was just wondering, like a lot of our our industry is using tablets now. Would you change uh, the terminology from paperwork to let me work up our feelings on my iPad or my tablet? No, no, that would be fine. Yeah, see, this again is back, and there still are companies that don't, don't have all their uh, information on their, the tablets or iPad. But no, they can change and adjust this to the times. You know, uh, uh, John, Mary, why don't I draft up our feelings on the iPad and we can go over it and see if it fits into your future needs. So they could definitely do it that way. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so the first five there, we have commission, exchanging that for fee for service. Then we have cost or price, exchanging that for total amount or total investment. Then we have avoiding down payment in exchange for 
initial amount or initial investment followed by monthly payment in exchange for monthly payment or excuse me, monthly investment or monthly amount and then contract in exchange for paperwork, agreement, tablet, form, or any other type of writing device. Sure. And what's so amazing, hearing you do this repetition, which again is practice, drill, and rehearse in a way. And I remember you know you saying earlier how when you went to the three-day, the first day or night, we were having a competition, and I had given you many of these words and stuff to learn for a little quiz the next day. And I know you probably stayed up hours rehearsing and studying. And, and that is one reason why our boot camps were so popular because people, they had to learn. They couldn't come in and invest their money in a seminar and not spend time at night practice drilling and rehearsing what I taught them during the day. And, you know, I hear you repeat these and I'm thinking, God, that's so cool. Well, the sixth word is a short little word. And it's a word that can scare people, and that's the three-letter word, buy. See, when you say to someone, when you buy our system, when you buy our services, our product, that darn word buy could have been, and not always, but it could have been something that this husband and wife, if you have a couple, talked about before the representative came in and said, now, look, we're not going to jump into anything. This company's coming in, this person, but why don't we get their feelings and we're not going to buy until we do maybe a little more research and see some other companies. So the word buy triggers, again, fear. So I'd love people joining us to just drop that word buy and replace it with the word own. People love to own. They're just nervous about the word buy. And it's kind of like instead of saying, you know, when you buy our system, we'll do this and this and this. It's so much nicer to say when you own the benefits our company has to offer in our service, I think you'll be thrilled with what our company can do for you and your family. And again, there it's the way you're presenting it that makes all the positive or negative difference. And then, of course, number seven, there's two words on seven. And that's the word sell or sold. And again, you know, we have sold a lot of this, these systems. We've sold a lot of these products. Well, may, you may have, but they only heard the word sold. And there are, again, people that are nervous about any transaction like this. And when they hear sell or sold, they kind of put up their hands in a defense uh, move to say, you know, we're not going to let you sell us and we don't want to get sold. And, and as you probably remember, uh, Brian, one of the things that happened in my life is everything came together my fourth year when I was selling real estate. I was in real estate eight years. That was my product or service. And it was so, it was so, uh, amazing how I could use these proper words and not create this fear. And so we don't say seller sold. Just get them involved. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, uh, we've been very fortunate as a company in our industry to get so many 
happy families involved in what we do with our product and service. Or you can, instead of get them involved, you can use help them acquire. We've helped so many families acquire our services. And that's one reason why I think our company has grown and prospered as we serve so many families. And here again, it's not so much what you say, but how you say it that makes the emotional difference from getting the yes and going ahead or uh, we'll think it over, which in a way is a no, because many of them will think it over and another company will come in and do the job and get the transaction. Absolutely. So let's, let's uh, sell or sold, get them involved or help them acquire. Tom, I know you don't Number like to, eight. I know you don't like to brag, but was would that fourth year be the year that you broke the record or set the record for three hundred and sixty five homes sold in a year? Oh gosh, what a memory you have. <laughs> yeah, that's Brian, that's funny. Yeah. You know what happened in the folks listening, um everything came together. Interest rates, believe it or not, the year before this were at eighteen percent on a person buying a home which is huge, you know, looking at today, two or three, but suddenly interest rates dropped down to six and 7% and buyers came out of the woodwork and it was my fourth year and everything came together, Brian. And sure enough, my manager of the office I was in calls me into his office and was about, no, I'm going to say November 15th of that year. And he says, Tom, I've been doing some uh, looking at the figures here, and are you aware of what you're doing? And, of course, I smiled at my manager, and I said, yeah, I'm having a ball. I've never been able to make so much money. I never thought sales would be this wonderful. And, of course, he says, yeah, but and Hopkins, you're not even aware of this, but based on how many homes you've sold, you're averaging one a day. And he says, Tom, it has never been done in real estate where a person, of course, averages one a day. Now, granted, I didn't just every day make a sale. I would maybe make one or two during the week. And then on the big real estate showing property Saturdays and Sundays, I may make three or four. But sure enough, he says, Tom, if you sell enough homes to where we can honestly and truthfully brag about the fact that you closed 365 home sales, averaging one a day for a year, which has never been done, your life will never be the same. People will want you to teach. They will call you. They'll go to any place you are. And that's kind of what happened, Brian. I uh, made that 365 sales. And the general manager of the company I worked for then, I mean, I was only 23 at the time. Wow. And uh, he just put my name and picture and in the paper and bragged about this 23 year old kid who sold a home a day, blah, 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 blah. And for him, it was a great recruiting tool because people would look at my picture and see me as a young kid, see how many homes I sold. And boy, they would call his company and try to get to know more and get to work with them. So he used it as a recruiting tool. But for me, the National Association of Realtors heard about it, and that's when they asked me to come to Los Angeles, which is where the National Convention was, and actually put on a, a full seminar. 
And what's so funny about life, Brian, I don't know if I, I don't know if I told you this, but you know, I was 23, brand new kid. Sure. I made all the sales, but you know, I was going to speak for an hour at the uh, national convention and I was going to maybe have 150 people when there was 5,500 who came to the convention and I went on at one o'clock. But for some reason, I woke up early, put my suit and tie and my little speaker's badge on, and I'm standing there back in behind the curtain where the speakers are. And sure enough, the president of the association comes over and sees me and says, Tom, our featured speaker, who who is a man named Thomas Harris, who wrote a book called The the, uh, Peter's Principle. I'm sorry, Thomas Peter, who wrote the book in the 60s called The Peter Principle. He says, he's caught in traffic here in L.A., and we got to start. Can you go on? And look at this fate, how it worked. Here, instead of 150, I walked out in front of 5,500, and I really did what I'm doing right here with you folks. I said, you know, there's 10 words, and back then I was using only 10, that many of your people in your company are saying that are costing your firm and your salespeople a lot of money. And so we must eliminate these words. Well, I went through 10 of the words, and I did it all in 12 minutes. And wouldn't you know it, the darn featured speaker shows up, because I was told the that I could only speak until he arrived. But I got a standing ovation. I'm not being braggadocious here, just a fact. Because no one in the history of real estate had ever heard all these words that you changed and eliminated. And my phone started ringing off the hook. And that's when all of a sudden I realized someday I'm going to do the seminar business. And that's when I said I'm going to have to write my, my first book, which was uh, How to Master the Art of Selling. But so that's kind of. The, the type of things that happen, but there, there's a word that I, I just don't want people to use, and that's the word deal, because here this couple or the people in front of you were told back maybe five years ago by a representative that, hey, you'll love this. This is a good deal, and that word deal stuck because it ended up being a bad deal. So the word deal can be considered a rejection, nasty word. So we always use a positive word, which is opportunity. In other words, say, instead of saying, you know, John, Mary, I think when you see our services, you'll see that they're a really good deal. It's so much better to say most of our happiest clients feel what we do is a wonderful opportunity that they benefit from. And there again, you're taking a negative in the word deal, and making it a positive in opportunity. And then, of course, mom and dad taught me, number nine, and that is don't sign anything. And there are, again, people on the verge of saying yes and going ahead or procrastinating and wanting to think it over or saying no, especially when you're all ready to have their signature. But if you say to them, well, if you'll just sign here, right away they go, you know, maybe we need to take a little time, my wife and I, and uh, discuss this. And uh, why don't you leave all this with us and uh, we'll get back to you, which is, of course, a big stall. So uh, there's four words that you can use. Now, 
I know this sounds silly, but if you were to talk to some of the highest incoming salespeople in the world, those that make over seven figures, a million dollars of income a year, and you ask how many times do you have to attempt to close the sale before you make it happen? What's an average? And you'd be amazed how many of them would say, I've had to make nearly five attempts to close a transaction. Well, if that's true, then you can't use the same word over and over, and that's the word sign. So I'd like you to ask them to okay it. John Mary, if you'll okay my paperwork, we'll set everything up. Or you can use the word approve. John Mary, if you'll approve my paperwork, we'll set up our service. Or you can use the word endorse. John Mary, if you'll endorse our form and we'll set up our service, and I know you'll be thrilled in the years to come. Or you can use authorize. We'll just need you to authorize our paperwork and we'll get started. So again, we don't ask him to sign it. We ask him to okay it, approve it endorse it or authorize it very important and you will have people and you, you you'll have this happen of course all these little things i'm teaching brian i i so vividly remember that it's what happened to me but you'll you'll have someone if you say i'll just need your approval on our paperwork to set up our service and they heard the word approval but then they'll say you mean you want us to sign it well, if they say it, you just smile and nod your head and say one word, fine, and just smile and nod. Do you, you want us to sign this? Well, that's, that's fine. And then they put their name on your paperwork. You've got an agreement, a transaction, and you're helping them, and you're making a better transaction for you too. So do that. And, of course, there's one word I've always really hated, and that's number 10 which is the word pitch. Uh, because, the you know, if you think of someone, I'd love to give you a pitch on what we do. The word pitch has such insincerity. It's kind of like what I'm saying I was taught in my training class in the company, and I just going to say this, and it's, it's not really what I mean. So I'd love them to drop the word pitch, number 10, and say the word presentation. I think at the end of my presentation, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, you'll be thrilled that you chose our company to offer you the finest service, the best products, and, of course, the long-term satisfaction with what we do for you and your family. And there again, you're saying the words beautifully. It, it, really good stuff there, Tom. Uh, so we have our next set of words there, buy in exchange for own sell or sold in exchange for get them involved or help them acquire deal in exchange for opportunity sign in exchange for okay approve endorse or authorize and pitch in exchange for presentation and one of the things i wanted to ask you there real quick was you had mentioned if somebody if if your client uh says the the word sign like hey am i just supposed to sign here and you just kind of nod and say that would be fine or fine that's great what if they mention any of the other words? What if they say down payment or what if they say, um, you know, this looks like a great deal is if they use the word, is it then okay to kind of walk with it or, or you still stay away? Oh, from sure. It? Yeah. Yeah. 
Brian, if they say it, it's no big thing because, you know, it's them mentally and emotionally expressing the, the phraseology. But uh, so that's really great. And, of course, number 11 uh, is another word that if you say it, it'll trigger things they haven't thought of because they could have these things in their mind. So number 11, don't say the word problem. Um, you know, I've, I've helped people with this problem before. And the reason I want folks to eliminate problem is that opens a, a area in a person's mind where they may come up with problems they hadn't thought of because of you saying the word. So you, you eliminate problem and say the word challenge. You know, I've had other families that have kind of a challenge with this, and we're going to make sure we take care of it for you, okay? And then, of course, uh, number 12, if you say the word objection, it can, again, trigger other things. So don't say, I can appreciate that objection. I've heard that objection. You, instead of objection or objections, use the word concerns or areas of concern. I can appreciate that area of concern, and I'll do my best to show you how we can handle that. And again, again, positive feeling, all right? And then, of course, number 13, don't ever say that your product is cheaper. And it might be. Uh, you may know another company they uh, talk to about the investment or the service, the product. And if you say your product's cheaper, there are people, and of course, it's not everyone. There are people that don't want cheaper because they don't feel they'll get quality. Uh, so always, if you have to let them know or want to emotionally let them know that they're going to save money investing with you, then always use the term more economical instead of cheaper. Uh, I'm sure you're going to find that based on all you'll receive from our company and our product and service is much more economical than most in the industry. And then, of course, number 14, never, never let or call people customers. You know, we have many customers. Oh, gosh, it sounds like they're just a number. Instead of number 14, customer, always you say the families we serve, people or families we serve, not customers. And number 15, you, you might be wise to change the word appointment. Because when you say to someone, we sure like an appointment, then this could be a call. This could be when you're prospecting. This could be someone who calls your company to get some uh, information. But instead of saying we love an appointment, let's just use the word visit or sure love to pop by and just visit with you and your family. And the pop by has the connotation, Brian, of, it, it, it's going to be quick. I'm not going to be there and hold your family up for a long time. So appointment is, let's see if I can pop by and visit with you. And, you know, I kind of like this. Because I plan on being in the area, which, of course, you are, because that's where your company is, in that city or state, I was hoping I could just pop by and visit with you. And... Here again, uh, as you mentioned, I think by everybody making a total commitment, and, and when I managed, I went from selling into managing the real estate office, 
we had a contest where if anyone said any of the back then it was 10 uh, nasty rejection words, they have to pay a dollar, which a dollar back then was a lot more than it would be today. But uh, anyway, so some of the folks listening are you that are in management. You may want to have some fun with this. Yeah, that's great. You may want to say we're all as a team going to do our best to eliminate these 15 words. And if you say one and someone catches you, let's just give them a nice crisp dollar bill. And that's amazing how the competition of getting a buck can get people motivated. Yeah, they're, we're, we're all super competitive here, and that's, a, that's something that everybody would definitely be into. Um, I wanted to ask, I, I remember those words specifically. Um, and I'm not sure if there were 15 or 10 at the time, but specifically first coming across these words of yours in sales closing for dummies. And it had me thinking that that was the second one I read of yours. The first one was selling for dummies. Um, but I wanted to know where can our audience go to come into your audio books because they're, they spend a lot of hours a day driving, um, Staring at the windshield, so to speak, sure, we call it sure. windshield time. And and the the point of the waste <laughs> no day podcast is to make sure that we're not, you know, our, our people aren't listening to sports radio or news or something that's really not helping them. But they're they're getting fed as much as possible in between calls. Well, and, and you know that's such a good point, Brian. The average salesperson, of course, this is all averages that does their full time career in the field of sales. If you took everyone in the United States that is in that situation, they're going to spend about 5,000 hours behind a wheel of a car in their whole career, 20, 30, whatever years they're in that business. So I think that it's so great and they're so fortunate today to have the ability to turn their car actually into a classroom because you can drive and, of course, listen to music, which won't make you a lot of money. Or you can listen to too much of the negativity in the news, which won't help you emotionally. But I try to get people to turn their cars into classrooms. And we're kind of fortunate. Uh, Amazon recently made a transaction with us to where they are marketing all of my books and CDs and DVDs. And they have our products. And when we worked out this transaction with uh, Amazon, they're offering our training materials, Brian, for less than we even offered them years ago. So people who were enjoying what we talked about, if they go to Amazon and just look up the Tom Hopkins sales products, all of our stuff is in there. And, you know, again, at tremendous discounts, people like to, uh, again, turn their cars into the classroom or uh, read one of my 18 books. So that's nice of you to ask. Uh, yeah, and Tom, also I will say, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, okay. So, uh, just summarizing that last set of five, there: problem in exchange for challenge objection yes. exchange for concern or areas of concern cheaper in exchange for more economical customers in exchange for the families that we serve an appointment in exchange for visit or pop by and visit with your family. And that's the one that I wanted to ask you about because we're in a very schedule driven industry where clients are calling us and, you know, they're saying, Hey, uh, you know, my water heater isn't working or my panel is sparking or my air conditioner is, uh, on the fritz or something like that. I need to schedule an appointment or 
I, you know, guilty as charged, our, our customer service reps probably refer to let's set up an appointment for you or let's take a look at the calendar for an appointment. It just pushing back on that a little bit. It, it seems like if I'm talking to a client who is currently in stress to say, Hey, yeah, we'll just have one of our, uh, one of our plumbers pop on by to visit with your family. It seems, could that be construed as me downplaying the condition of their situation or, or the gravity of the, uh, the problem that they're dealing with? I think, I think what I would consider Brian is our, our schedule of visiting and working with our future clients is truly flexible so we try to change our timing and when we do get to meet with folks what suits their needs and their timing but i really would love the opportunity to pop by and visit with you and uh, see if what we have to offer makes sense because if it doesn't that's fine we love what we do serving our families and clients so why don't i just look at a time i'm available uh, this evening, I have a time at six after dinner, or I could wait and make it a little later, or I could try to make it uh, the next few days. What would best suit you for me to come by and pay some time with you? And of course, analyze what you truly need and how we can financially make it most suitable for you and your present situation. Perfect. That's great. I appreciate that, Tom. <laughs> I, I wanted to uh, ask you before before uh, we let you go, I know you're on a tight schedule. Um, we will usually ask some kind of goofy questions and get goofy answers <laughs> at this point. But one thing I haven't heard in, in a long time, and I would love for our uh, audience to hear, as well as myself again, is your worst day in selling. Oh, that, yeah. I, what's so funny, Brian, as I've ended up telling kind of this story, true story, uh, Every time I end a seminar, and for a couple of reasons, number one, we've studied hard, we've been up all night, and people want to relax, so I, I've always kind of told this story, but it was my worst day. I, it was about 10 in the morning. Uh, I was in real estate, only been in real estate about four months, hadn't done much, was almost flat broke, and I get a call at 10 in the morning, and this woman calls up on one of our ads in the paper, and she wanted to come in and look at it, see the property. And of course, I was scared to death. Uh, I didn't, I had just got this beat up old car and I was nervous as can be about showing a home. And, but she came in and she was delightful. And of course, I'd only had this beat up old Oldsmobile for about a day. And of course, I didn't know the air conditioning. And I, I didn't know that it, the gas tank, uh, gas gauge wasn't working. So it's about, it's in mid-July, almost 100 degrees, one of the hottest days out in the area I was working. And, of course, I get this lovely woman in this piece of junk car, and I'm driving to the house. And sure enough, uh, wouldn't you know it, I'm about, I guess, a quarter mile from the house, and the darn car starts jerking. And sure, I'm out of gas. And I said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I just got this car yesterday, and it, it seemed like the gas gauge had a little gas, and I apologize, and let me just run and get some gas. And, of course, there was a gas station maybe an eighth of a mile away. 
And I got my little gas can and ran, got the gas, came back. Well, keep in mind, it was 100 degrees outside. She's in this car with the windows up. And, of course, I get in and look over at her. And, gosh, she's just wringing wet with perspiration from sitting in this maybe 130-degree car. Well, I get it started and get up to the house. And I show her through. And, uh, gosh, I'll never forget, I, I... was so nervous and I I said to her you know why don't you step out on the patio and I pulled back the sheer drapes thinking she would reach down and open the sliding glass door she didn't even see it and then she bumps into the dang door almost (laughs) almost knocked herself out and finally I said ma'am this is just not working and so we drove back to the office and 20 minutes later the phone rings and it's her husband, and it wants to come in and, and see the house. Well, gosh, I'm thinking, hey, I might make this sale. Well, they came in, and I'm nervous as can be. And this is back when the area that I worked had lots of horses. And sure enough, there was this big horse fly flying around the room, landed on her. She shooed it off, landed on him. He shooed it off. And I don't know what happened, but this darn fly came flying right in front of my face. And I'm just a nervous wreck. And I reached out and I acted like I grabbed it and acted like I threw it in my mouth. Well, the darn thing I did get, (laughs) and I did throw it in my darn mouth. And God, this couple, their mouths dropped open. They looked at each other like, who is this nutcase that eats flies? At his death. So that was the famous worst day in sales story. Did you and get the sale? My audience, my audience, uh, no, never saw him. <laughs> they uh, thought, I, I, think, I think we're going to leave. And that was my worst day in sales. And I think everybody that's joined us has had that. And you will have it. Please don't forget, life is a cycle of highs and lows and in-betweens. And the business cycle is the same way, that we'll have a week where everything you touch turns to gold, and then you can hit the next week where everything you touch turns to something other than gold. And that's just called life and business. So keep laughing, stay happy, make a lot of money, and I hope you'll take my training and I hope I can help you and your family have a better life. If that happens, then I'm doing the right thing. Well, I'll tell you, for me and my partner, Nate, here, having you on our podcast has certainly been a high cycle, and we greatly appreciate everything you do and you coming to talk to us for a absolutely. little bit today. Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, you guys take care, and everybody, have a wonderful life. God bless all of you, and thank you for listening. And Brian and Nate, thank you for letting me be part of your show. All the best. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Hey, really good stuff from Tom today. I hope all of you go back and listen to this podcast over and over and over again because, uh, let's face it, it's going to take some time. Uh, I mean, I know on our podcast here, I try to make a self-conscious effort of referring to the customer as a client and you know your your presentation, those types of things. But if you go back and listen, I know I've slipped up. I know I've, I've used uh, some fear words. Uh, before and I'll probably use them again because it takes it takes repetition Uh, like Tom said it takes practice drill rehearse practice drill rehearse practice drill rehearse and so listen to this podcast over and over again listen to it a couple times this week and then go back and listen to it a couple times in a week or two 
and just start changing those things. You know, it might be hard to change all 15 at once, and maybe you don't use all 15 words at once, but you probably, I guarantee you're using a couple of them. And so start with the ones that you use most frequently and start changing them out, swapping them out. And I can tell you in our industry, some things that definitely stand out to me would be presentation, uh, sign, um, sell or buy, deal, down payment, cost, price. Those are all ones that I think get thrown around pretty frequently in the home services industry. And so find the words that you are using uh, that are causing fear and start changing them out for those more uh, family-friendly, customer-friendly um, style words or phrases that Tom has implemented. And really good stuff. We were so thrilled to have him on our podcast today and hope that you found the value in it. Uh, again, this is the challenge for the week and beyond. So take those fear words and stuff them and change them out for the ones that are going to give you the leg up on your next presentation with a client. That's it for our podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. And we want to make sure this is challenging you. We want to make sure that you are taking the opportunity to get better, that you are making the most of every single moment, that you are making the best decision or the most profitable thing that you can do in every opportunity or moment that is presented to you. And we want to make sure that you are taking the opportunity to wake up each morning and waste no day. podcast is a production of the South Central Pennsylvania branch of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric.